Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, happy Friday. It is a happy Friday, Carson. It's uh, basketball season officially. I think it started about two weeks ago. So kind of fun to uh, to be in the basketball season here with Oklahoma State. Yeah, we've been in this also, too. It's nice outside. Um, we've been in this weird weather pattern where the nice weather is during the week, and I've been just stuck in, stuck in my office. And then you get to the weekend, it's freezing cold, so I haven't touched a golf club in months. I'm getting a little little antsy, but that will not be happening this weekend, Colby, because it's my youngest stepdaughter's eighth birthday. We're having a Taylor Swift themed birthday party at our house with a sleepover with like six girls. So that's where, um, that's where my, my head space, that's where my, uh, golf clubs will be still drawing dust in the garage. That's what I'll be doing this weekend. That is unfortunate that you haven't had a chance to play golf lately. I was able to get out on Wednesday of this week when it was like 75 degrees. Um, and that was beautiful. I enjoyed that. But yeah, Taylor Swift theme party. So does that mean like you're going to have Taylor Swift music playing when, when they all get there and walk in? Is it just going to be playing in the background all night? What, what is it? The decorations, what makes it a Taylor Swift theme party for eight-year-olds? Well, my wife is a Swifty aholic. I mean, basically all she does is, is look at Instagram reels of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. And, <laughs> you know, we went to the show in Kansas city at Arrowhead we went to the movie theater and watched the movie and now she's watching clips from the movie on Instagram reels. I'm like, we've already experienced this in person. We've already experienced the movie and now you're watching the clips. And I think we are going to watch the movie uh, for the party because it's now on uh, Disney plus. I'm just like, haven't we done this? Haven't we checked this off the, the old bucket list, but no, she, she can't get enough and thus the daughters can't as well. So what they're doing is, I think all the girls that are invited, are, including uh, my daughter May, is they're all going to dress as different era Taylor Swift. You know, there's all these eras that she has, you know, reputation. She's wearing black, things of that nature. And then, of course, my wife being the Swifty has all these decorations. There's like a photo wall. We've got all sorts of memorabilia. And yes, I'm sure lots of music will be played as well. Well, that is awesome. Shout out to your wife for putting on what sounds like a great party for the kiddos. And, and as much as I'd like to give her grief for just continuing to revisit the Eras tour. It's not even March and I've already watched the 2019 masters this year. So I get it. I get it. That's fair. We, we all have our, uh, have our things and I, I don't blame you at all for that. Um, actually I, I have touched a golf club. I, I haven't mentioned this on, mentioned this on the podcast, but I had turf installed in my backyard. My backyard was just a complete mud pit. Thanks to my two doodles. And, you know, Sydney, my wife is from Houston. So a lot of folks down there just get turf in their yards because it's too hot. You spend a ton on watering. Um, and along with the turf, they're like, hey, we can put a putting green in for you for not much more. I'm like, well, why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> so Sydney and I had a little putting contest. We played 18. There's three holes. So we just did the game where each the person who goes first picks a hole and you putt to it. You know, one, you make it in one, it's a birdie. Two, it's par. Three is a bogey. And we played 18 holes. And I did win, but Sydney gave me a run for my money. So she's got a little natural ability as well. So I have touched a golf club, long story short. Yep. I got a picture of the backyard a couple of weeks ago. It looks fantastic. Um, I look forward to our putting contest out there one day. H have I ever told the story 
about me trying to let Dana win at putt putt on our honeymoon? I don't think so. Let's hear it. I, I wanted her to win so bad. It's our honeymoon, right? It's like first day we're there. We're at the resort in Cabo. Um, they've got this little putt-putt course down by. I'm like, we'll go down there. All right, I'll let her win. Dude, I was trying so hard. And we get to the last hole. And, I mean, I'm just knocking three-footers by the hole, four or five feet. And she, like, nine-putted the last hole. It's just like <laughs> a three-footer up a gradual slope. She like nine putts the last hole. At this point, we've got people just waiting to play. So finally I knocked mine in and I beat her. I'm like, it was all I could do. It was all I could do to try to let you in. At some point we just had to get off the course so other people could play. So, um, that is, that is my putt putt story from Dana and I's honeymoon. She, she couldn't golf's not her thing. Let's put it that way. She's a, she's a bike rider. Yeah. And that's fine. But like, would she respect you for letting her win? Because Sydney know, would not have that. I not in all scenarios. Not in all scenarios. When when we were twenty two and it was the first day of our honeymoon, yes, I think she would have appreciated it just so she could have that little pep in her step on night one. But um, at this point in our lives, probably not. But but when we were twenty two on day one of the honeymoon, I think she would have appreciated it. Say so it's it's a little patronizing when you just when you start nine putting to let her win. I think that at that point, a little diminishing returns, but. That was noble of you, though. I will give you credit for being being the noble uh, husband. It, it was an attempt at nobility. We'll we'll leave it at that. Yep. So that's what we got going on. Let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And we're going to use this as the uniform review, Colby, as I watched Oklahoma State uh, get their first road win in Big 12 play, uh, wearing the 95 throwbacks, Look, recalls memories of big country, uh, Keontae Roberts, things of that nature. Uh, and then I see all these gorgeous photos on pistols firing of the curse of Cowboys they wear at home. I'm just, it's sad that they're not winning basketball games because these alternate uniforms they now wear on a consistent basis are, if if they let me into the lab with Nike and let me design the uniforms, I would have very little notes here. Uh, the only thing I would probably change is the the current brand on the shorts. I would go back to the O-State on the shorts but besides that colby just chef's kiss the uniforms are incredible uh haven't said that yet on the podcast this season but no notes hardly at all i mean the, the uniforms to me are perfect in basketball and that's everything i've ever wanted from the home and the away i i could see the the curse of cowboys they were at home i wouldn't mind seeing those on the road in black too that'd be sweet but uh overall they look sharp on the court and hey they're winning basketball games now too yeah, they're elite. The uniforms are elite. They've won four or seven, so they're starting to turn things around a little bit. And I I like the black ones. I like the 95 throwbacks. I think those are my favorite. Curse of Cowboys at home looks really good, too. Um, but those 95 throwbacks are just, I mean, I, I don't know how you really top that. Well, they, and they got to get rid of their current ones because they use the old numbers the football team used before they went to their current uniforms. Remember those? Those kind of barbed wire numbers with the bandana print on the sides for basketball. I get trying to mirror the football team because that's been something they've done in the past with the alarm clock numbers, but it's time to just scrap those and go go full time curse of cowboys. That's 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 kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I think so too. And and maybe we'll get there next season. I don't know. I don't know how often like the the uniforms roll over where you can change things uh, as far as how many have been produced and put in stores on shelves and stuff. Uh, but I'm assuming that whenever the next round of that happens and they make changes, maybe that's something that they're going to look at. Because I, I think that would be a popular change. Yeah, I would think. I don't know how all that works either, but we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast. 
That is the uniform review of the week. Well, Colby, we're coming off an emergency podcast where Mike Boynton had some pretty scathing comments for the athletic department in terms of the lack of funding for NIL when it comes to basketball. Um, Scathing might be a little harsh. I think just honest uh, to a, to a harsh degree, maybe however you want to term that. And you know, he put himself out there Colby. And since then they've picked up two really good wins, winning at home against BYU, a ranked opponent. And then as I mentioned, their first big 12 road win against Cincinnati. So Boynton backed it up and credit where it's due. He, he kind of put himself out there and, and backed it up with two quality wins. Yeah, I, I've been just about to burst with takes this week after the way they played at home against BYU on Saturday, and, and then it was only further solidified by what happened Wednesday in Cincinnati, is that Mike Boynton still has a way of resonating with his players because you remember my concern last week was that you come out and you talk about the, the, the lack of budgets um, and making a, a decision to recruit lower schools, like that was kind of forced on you with the NIL and this stuff. And, and I'm, I was just wondering, how is this received in the locker room? And clearly he still has a way to get through to his guys and to get them to play hard. I mean, that's their two best games of the season in back-to-back performances right after he said all these things. And and now, obviously, we talk about winning fixes everything, but now you look at those comments and you wonder what was said behind closed doors from Mike Boynton to his team either before or after he made those comments publicly because one of the things you could argue is that he was making a plea to the administration, hey, please give me enough to at least keep the guys I have on my roster now. Please give me enough so that at least I've got Brandon Garrison, Eric Daly, Jamiron Keller, Javon Small, and Keon Williams coming back next year. E- even if we can't go out and, and pay other big-time transfers to come in or, or pay big-time high school recruits to get through the door because we don't have that much of an NIL budget, at least make it to where we don't have to watch Jamiron Keller and Brandon Garrison play for Jamie Dixon next year. And a- again, winning kind of solves a lot of problems. And when you put yourself out there, like you said, like Mike Boynton did, you've got to back that up with wins. Otherwise, those comments fall totally flat and make you look like a fool. When you win two games after that, uh, one at home against a ranked opponent, and then your first game of the season on the road, Oklahoma State was a a six-and-a-half-point dog against BYU. They were a a ten-and-a-half-point dog against Cincinnati. Mike Boynton pressed the right buttons in that locker room to get those guys to come out and play their best basketball of the season. Now they've got two more home games coming up against unranked opponents with Bedlam tomorrow and UCF on Wednesday. It's entirely possible, Carson, that a a week from today, OU and OSU will have the same record in Big 12 conference play, which would have been unfathomable three or four weeks ago. Yeah, and it just it makes the start of the season so frustrating. Like, how do you lose at home to Abilene Christian? How do you lose to St. Bonaventure and Notre Dame? These are games that were winnable and that you shouldn't lose. Southern Illinois as well. Just You just take care of business in the non-conference, Colby. All of a sudden, this season is nowhere near the disaster that it currently has been. Um, And you're right. I think they do have an opportunity to turn the season around. But, man, you just – and that's another theme I think we've felt throughout the Mike Boyne era, isn't it? Doesn't this feel a little deja vu as as I'm talking about it? These kind of just – just stunning losses in non-conference play to teams that are just not on Oklahoma State's level. It just, it, it's encouraging, yes, but it also makes you kind of rue the start they got off to. Yes, it does, and and they're so young, right? So you want to give a little bit of leeway to young kids, but it, it's still 
the Abilene Christian game to open the season, like right out of the gate. That's brutal. St. Bon, Bonaventure oh, a week later. That one hurts. Southern Illinois hurts. Um, these are some games that you've got to win. The Creighton game, we see what Creighton's capable of. They absolutely put it on UConn the other night. Like some of these don't bother you a ton. Notre Dame stinks. Notre Dame stinks. You 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 still want the uh, the Baylor game back to start conference play. You still want the Kansas State game back that was on the road. You, you want to allow these young players to grow up while while still acknowledging that those are bad losses. This has been somewhat of a theme under Mike Boynton. This team gets better in February, and I, I don't know if that is roster turnover and and not knowing exactly how the puzzle puzzle pieces fit together in these teams until later in the season. But also, I mean, you had a puzzle piece taken away this year and, and I love Bryce Thompson. I love what he's done for Oklahoma state. He's a Tulsa kid, um, Booker T kid. I, I just don't know if maybe the puzzle pieces fit together better without him. I, I think individually a great player, but this team is playing its best basketball of the season right now without him. They've won four of seven now without him. And I don't really know what to make of that. Maybe it's just simply, um, other guys are getting more opportunities and they're playing well in those roles. Jamiron Keller obviously is getting a ton of those minutes and he has been huge for Oklahoma State, knocked down a massive three and some big free throws late in that game against Cincinnati the other night. So I, I don't know if the, the Bryce Thompson injury um, just kind of paved the way for Keller to get in there and play some valuable minutes, but for whatever reason, they, they seem to be clicking a little bit better since the, the loss of Bryce Thompson. Yeah, I mean, Keller's pretty much the the focal point of the way they've been playing lately. He's really emerging as uh, a really good player under Mike Boynton. He didn't play much to start the year. I mean, he did play in double digits in non-conference, but as soon as they get to conference play, he played in order one minute, seven minutes, three minutes, five minutes, nine minutes, until this recent stretch starting with Kansas State. He's played 25, 19, 26, 38, 36, in which they've won you know three of their last five. Um, I think he's a big part of that. And I guess I question, you know, I, he is young, obviously, just like most of the team. Uh, it's, it's, now you got to kind of question why he didn't play more. He's he's made a real impact, but I think you're right. I think just looking at how they they fit, the pieces they fit without Bryce Thompson, they, they've played much better basketball. And I think you got to give, you know, Mike Boynton credit for that, making it work when you lose a star player. I use quotes around star with Bryce Thompson because of his his pedigree. Maybe not so what he's done at Oklahoma State, but you know, seemingly they are playing their best basketball. So give him credit for that. And I thought he made some really good coaching decisions down the stretch. I mean, to to foul when you're up three. I mean, that, to me, that's an obvious decision. But not every coach in college basketball uh, does that. Uh, so I've been hard on Mike and his coaching ability late in games. But I thought he he pushed all the right buttons there down the stretch. And of course, you hit all your free throws. That certainly helps too. Yeah, I thought he was really good with late-game coaching against BYU and against Cincinnati in that BYU game. They, they would go on a little run and cut it to, like, maybe seven there at one point, and I, I thought he was smart about when he called his timeouts, um, making sure that his guys were just comfortable with that lead, a, a situation that they hadn't really been in this year because you look at their conference wins, it was by four points at home against West Virginia, by three points at home against Kansas State. Those were the two conference wins going into that BYU game. And all of a sudden, they open up this big lead against a team that shoots 32 threes a game, and, and you just you worry that they're going to go into one of those stretches where they go six straight minutes without scoring. BYU pours in four threes in that time, and all of a sudden, you're in a game that's within five points at the end. They didn't let that happen. And then against Cincinnati the other night, I was stunned 
at the amount of free throws Oklahoma State made late in that game. It's been a problem under Mike Boynton's tenure. It was a problem earlier this season, but over the last seven games, really, whenever they started um, winning some of these, it, it has really turned a corner, and they've been a pretty good free-throw shooting team, and they were phenomenal against Cincinnati the other night. I think I saw on Pistols Firing uh, blog.com and the five thoughts, they were 11 of 11 in the last five minutes and like six of six in the last minute. And those are just huge free throws to close a team out on the road that was still very much in the game after they go up six with a minute 25 to go. And then Lukosius comes down and immediately drills a step back three. It's like, oh, can this team catch a break? Um, but they made all their free throws and they got it done. So I thought he pushed the right buttons and the guys deserve a lot of credit for the way they executed the last five minutes of both the BYU and Cincinnati games. Yeah. And like, you know, I got, I have a friend that's been associated with OSU and he's, he's not a big fan of Mike Boynton. Hasn't been for a long time. Even, even when everyone else was on the Mike Boynton train, he was off it. And, you know, I tweeted after the game that, you know, look, Mike Boynton put himself out there and he, he backed it up with two, two quality wins credit where it's due. And he took issue with that. And I, I, I do need to add some context to that. Do I think that Mike Boynton has, done something that's you know exceptional no do i think he's done something worthy of keeping his job i would say no but the bottom line is they're not firing him they're not uh they're we've been over it a hundred times they're they're not going to pay the buyout he's well liked on campus his players like him and if you want to retain these players i think keeping mike uh, is the only way to do that current with the current crop although we've seen plenty of players leave as i noted on the last podcast but uh keep it simple he won two two quality wins. Uh, we're not throwing a party. We're not throwing a parade. You know, you lose against Oklahoma, the the heat's going to get turned way back up again. But I've it's kind of the point where, you know, at the end of the Travis Ford era, Colby, I was almost like rooting against Travis Ford to win games because it just I knew he wasn't the guy, and I knew they had to move on. I think it's the opposite here with Mike Boynton, knowing that they're not going to can him, and that you just hope they keep winning games and you know, try to salvage what's left of the basketball season. But not every take has to be overarching on his tenure either. And that's the point I wanted to make. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point. Not every opinion that everyone has about Mike Boynton has to be some referendum on whether you think that he should be fired, whether you think he should keep his job, whether you think he should should be here for another 15 years or another 15 minutes. Um, sometimes it's just what what's happening in the moment. And I, I don't think that they're going to lose to Oklahoma tomorrow. I just... He's been really good at home against OU in his career at Oklahoma State. They're five and one in the six games that they played uh, Oklahoma and Stillwater since Mike Boynton got there. Their average margin of victory in those five games is just a tick under ten points. So I mean, they're, they're basically beating OU by ten points a pop every time they come to Stillwater since Boynton got there. OU's going in the wrong direction. I don't think they're very good. I, I think that they just kind of got off to a good start to the season and then people figured them out. I, I really don't think that they're much better than Oklahoma State, uh, if any at all. To be honest with you. Oklahoma State's conference schedule was much more front-loaded. When we look back now, I, I don't think we realized how brutal the at Texas Tech, at Iowa State games were going to be as two of your first three conference games. And then you play Kansas at home. Um, I, I think you got a little bit of a bad break having to play Kansas twice in conference play. You only get an unranked UCF team once. You only get an unranked Cincinnati team once. You only get an unranked Texas team once. You've got to play Texas Tech twice. You've got to play Kansas twice. Um, BYU twice. So, um 
Yeah, I, I just, again, not everything has to be a huge referendum. I think right now he's doing some good things. I, I really think what's going to be telling for this program is in the whatever the portal window is, whether that's a couple weeks after the season, a month or two after the season, if we see those five I mentioned, Garrison, Daly, Keller, Keon Williams, and Javon Small, if we see two or three of those guys hop in the portal, then that to me is is very concerning for the future of the program and what next season means. If all five of those were to come back, I would have some optimism um, that, that this could potentially be a tournament team next season as those guys grow up. So I, I think that you want to get as many wins as you can down the stretch of this season, and then whatever happens in the weeks or months to follow will be very telling about what this team looks like in 24-25. Well, is that even in Mike Boynton's control? Was he Was he almost setting that up with his comments in terms of – you know, they have the lowest budget, according to Mike Boynton, in terms of NIL dollars. Like, like I think you wanted to get off a, a Keller joke going to TCU. Uh, could, could two or three of these guys end up in the Big 12 somewhere else? I mean, maybe Mike was setting that up with his comments. Uh, I don't know. That's It's going to be a concern for sure, though. Yeah, I, I texted my family has a group chat. We always text during the OSU games, and I texted after the BYU game on Saturday, and uh, I said, Jamie Dixon's going to love Jamiron Keller. And no, <laughs> I, I don't think that it's up to Mike Boynton, and that's why I think it is so indicative of where this program is heading because I, I think that we see these young guys with promise, and if, again, we see one go to TCU and one go to SMU and another one goes to, I don't know, wherever, Ohio State, um, if that happens again this offseason, then I think that that will solidify some of the things that Mike Boynton said last week, which is just simply, if you can't, if you don't have enough in NIL to at least keep your own guys whenever they show some promise and some potential, you're just not going to be able to compete in modern college basketball. So I, as, as important as I think the, the closing stretch of this season is for Oklahoma State basketball to build some momentum going into next year, I think even more important is what happens in the offseason because I think that that will tell us exactly how many dollars there are to go around and to be allocated toward basketball. Well, and it's interesting. I heard Doug Gottlieb was on the sports animal with Jim Traber and they were talking about, you know, the basketball program, everything that's going on, considering Doug is within those walls now as a consultant. And I thought Doug made a really interesting point that I hadn't put a whole lot of thought into in terms of Oklahoma state as a, as an athletic department, he, he kind of brought up Kansas state basketball and uh, one other program, I can't remember who else it was, but they have they clearly have more money in NIL. And he's like, Kansas State isn't trying to be good at every sport like Oklahoma State. You know, Oklahoma State's trying to be winning national championships in softball, wrestling, track and field. And he kind of went on down the list. He's like, Kansas State cares about being good in football and basketball, and that's it. And that's where they put their dollars. So I do wonder, Colby, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in Oklahoma State being good in every sport, you know, being up there on the – the lists of national champions uh, all time and certainly every single year. I do wonder if they're spreading themselves a little thin with the point that, that Doug made about, you know, football and basketball not getting, you know, every dollar. That is a, I think that's an interesting conversation piece. I, I think I would be hard pressed to sit here and say, let's just dump every dollar the university has into basketball and football, because I, I think that that takes a little bit away from what Oklahoma state is as a university and as an athletic department. Um, I, I think Oklahoma State, I'm having microphone problems here. Am I cut, can you hear me? Yeah, you've been sounding great so far. I haven't heard any issues. I'm cutting out on my end then. Uh, I'll just I'll just keep going. Um, yeah, I, I think it takes a little bit away from what Oklahoma State is as a university and as an athletic department. Um, Oklahoma State prides itself on being able to put a competitive product 
on the field, on the court, in sports all across the calendar. Um, I know we're all really excited for, for tennis coming up this spring. I have people tweet at me asking me when the golf program is going to be back to relevant. Softball is exciting right now. Baseball is exciting right now. Football is great. Um, the soccer team ha- has been having some good seasons in the fall. And I think that that's part of the fabric of Oklahoma state is that we don't just show up for football and basketball. We support the entire university. Um, wrestling has it rolling again. So I'd be hard-pressed to say that Oklahoma State should do what Kansas State does and just dump it all into football and basketball. I, I just wonder if maybe there aren't a few more dollars out there for basketball. Again, I'm, I'm not asking you to go out um, and, and try to steal players from Kansas and Kentucky and stuff like that, but I also don't think SMU should be able to walk into your building with a check big enough that you can't keep Tyreek Smith. I don't think Jamie Dixon should be able to use your roster to recruit. So I, I think a middle ground where you you don't dump it all into football and basketball, but you can at least keep the guys on your roster that aren't – I mean, these aren't Cade Cunningham expensive type guys. These are just normal college basketball player NIL deals, and Oklahoma State can't make enough of those to keep a roster together. I think that's kind of um, where I draw the line, where, where I start to maybe have a problem with the investment there. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly understand – what Oklahoma State is, but this is also a is also a different era now with NIL. Um, so it, it remains to be seen, and, and hopefully Oklahoma State can keep you know the players that Mike Boynton recruits, and it doesn't just become a an NIL exodus like it's like it's been for the most part. Um, speaking of other sports, Iowa announces a sellout for uh, for Sunday's duel against Oklahoma State inside Gallagher Iowa Arena. Uh, this should be. A tremendous atmosphere. I know there's been a lot of retrospectives from the duel they had five years ago with Iowa where Nick Piccinini had that pin over Spencer Lee, which was just an iconic photo with, with John Smith uh, celebrating in the background and just an iconic moment in recent lore of, of Gallagher-Iba. And I think, um, you know, Colby, this is this is kind of what I've always said about OSU basketball. You just – wrestling fans are are so loyal. Uh, they, they show up regardless. But you just – if they see just a little momentum, like same with the basketball fans, they just see a little momentum, they will they will show up. And obviously they're they're showing up in, in, in droves for a, a sellout against Iowa, which should be, you know, it's a it's an historic rivalry. Uh, everyone's fighting for second against Penn State, but these two do not like each other. It's very much bedlam of wrestling because they'll use non-competitive. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what that environment looks like on Sunday. Yeah, I am too. And, and I'm happy for the wrestling program to be back to this point where um where everyone as a fan base is really excited about what the atmosphere in Gallagher-Iba Arena can be for a big duel. Because we had some of those when I was there, and it's so much fun. And, and there's just something about that sport that yields itself to this communal fan experience where you're all just on the edge of your seat waiting for that moment to erupt. And that that picture you referenced from five years ago in that duel, it, it made me think, do, do combat sports, wrestling, boxing, MMA – do those sports yield themselves to better sports photographs than other sports because of the way everyone reacts at the same time? Because for my money, um, the greatest sports photograph of all time is Ollie Liston in 1965. And maybe one of the best Oklahoma State sports photographs of all time, I think, is that one that you referenced from five years ago with Piccinini. Um and the crowd and John Smith and everything. I, maybe those sports just just lend themselves to it because we're all just waiting for that one moment at the same time, and then it's just this huge eruption of emotion. But the sports photographs that come from those sports seem to seem to just hit a little bit different. Yeah, it was uh, iconic. I am sad though. Um, 
we don't get the return of AJ Ferrari. Apparently he's not wrestling this year. Uh, he had that just total fiasco where he was wrestling a, a teammate, flipped him off, punched him, and he hasn't wrestled since this year. And I, I don't know what's going on with his eligibility or why he's not wrestling, but wouldn't that have been like a true, like a true, like pro wrestling moment? AJ Ferrari returning to a sold out Gallagher Iba wearing Iowa gear, wrestling against Oklahoma State, likely flipping double birds again. I mean, we were we were robbed of that moment because I'm I'm not so sure AJ Ferrari will be on the team next year either because he's he's got a lot of issues. Yeah, I, I don't think he will either. I to be honest with you, this is either um a very immature young man who needs to figure some things out to in order to to be successful in life and to reach the heights that he can with his talent. Or, or this is just a calculated play to get a WWE contract. Like <laughs> those are seriously, those are the only two options. It's like, it's as if he's trying to put some, some tape together so that the WWE looks and says, that guy, he's our heel. He's our villain. The crowds are going to hate him. He's going to love it. That's our heel. I, I really think that this is either one of two things, a very immature young man or someone making a calculated play to get a, a seven-figure WWE contract. Um, only time will tell, but it's it's disappointing that his collegiate career has worked out the way it has because the promise that he showed early in his Oklahoma State career, the fan favorite that he was early in his Oklahoma State career, to see that all come crashing down in such a massive way and, and seemingly so quickly um, – it's been really unfortunate to watch because I, I thought he was going to be a fan favorite in Oklahoma State for four or five years. He had a chance to be the first ever five-time national champion because he won as a true freshman. Uh, he's going to have the COVID year. Uh, so, it's uh, yeah, it's sad. He's a true talent, but just seemingly can't get out of his own way. And you're talking about WWE. Like He doesn't even need a, a gimmick. He doesn't even need to come up with some kind of character. He can literally use his name, AJ Ferrari. He can he can play up the the Jersey Shore motif. You know, you can show up in like a track suit and sunglasses and literally drive a Ferrari to the ring. Uh, I mean, it's if you're if you're WWE, sign him tomorrow. I mean, clearly he can make a lot of money doing that. But uh, I just thought of that. he didn't even need a gimmick. Colby he doesn't need to be, call himself the rock or anything. Just my name's AJ Ferrari. What else do you need? Yeah, and, and hey, they can call him the Ferrari. And like you said, he can drive a Ferrari down the ramp to the ring for every match. Um, and then afterward, he can get in the Ferrari and he can drive it back up the <laughs> up the ramp. It's just, it's honestly, it's perfect. And and he clearly doesn't mind being the villain. That that video where he shoves his teammate and um, is flipping off the crowd. And stuff. Like, it just seems like he embraces that and he loves that. And that has no place in college wrestling. But hey, if you want to go do it in the WWE, that would be a great entertainment product for them. Um, WWE's got some problems. We don't need to get into all that, but I think AJ Ferrari would have himself a career there much more than he's going to in actual wrestling where he just doesn't seem to be able to play by the rules. Yeah. John Smith had a lot of good things to say. You can check that out on pistols firing blog and, uh, you can watch it as we televised nationally on Fox sports one. So a big stage for not only Oklahoma state wrestling, but the, the sport at large, uh, OSU softball, Colby rolling. Beat number four ranked Washington and beat South Florida down in Tampa. Uh, sure seems to me like you know they lose Kelly Maxwell, but the Cowgirls just kept this train on rolling and they're they're going to be a national title contender once again. Yeah, Kenny Gajewski just seems to continue to make it work um, with Oklahoma State softball. That was a really good trip to Florida, and I'm excited about what this team could be. This is 
Last year was so odd with the way they just crashed and burned down the stretch. You you wonder if it was a, a team chemistry thing or what was going on because it just didn't make sense for it to end the way it did. But I think this is another season where it's Oklahoma City or bust. And, and once you get there, there are obviously um, some juggernauts, one in particular, they who shall not be named, and you, you hope you can get past them. But I, I think that the floor for this team is just a trip to Oklahoma City, and that's about what this program has come to expect. College softball is a, a very – top-heavy sport, um, dominated by by several teams in particular, and Oklahoma State has kind of gotten themselves into that conversation year after year. It's why last year was such a, a massive disappointment, but it seems like they've quickly righted the ship, and, yeah, that's just um, – it's a lot of fun for this state that, that's, that that national championship is right here in Oklahoma City, and OU and OSU are there seemingly every year. Kenny Gajewski, the best coach on campus currently? Mm, no. No, I will say, be? I, I mean, my Gundy, like yeah. it, it, it's so much harder, I think, to win in college football um, with the budget that Oklahoma State runs out every year. Whereas, uh, again, in softball, you, you get a good pitcher, you get a few hitters. It's the same schools at the top year after year. And Oklahoma State seems to be one of the halves in softball. And Oklahoma State, to a large large part, with budget and recruiting and things, are more one of the have-nots in football. And yet Gundy can, continues to produce. So I, I would probably say Gundy at one. Yeah, I, I can't argue that. It's kind of a extreme hypothetical in the first place. But now he's he's doing a fantastic job, and, and all, all roads lead to uh, Oklahoma City once again. Uh, you ready for the Yingling Toast of the Week? Uh, absolutely. You go ahead. I know you got a former cowboy on yours. Yeah. My toast of the week that brought to you by Yingling America's oldest brewery. Be sure to shop at your local, uh, on queue local gas stations. My wife actually just did a target pickup the other day. Or I, I picked it up. She did the target order. And I noticed in there was a, a 12 pack of bottles of Yingling. I'm like, what's this for? She's like, well, we're having a birthday party. Parents will be over here. We need to, we need to, um, be able to serve the adults if they choose to hang out for a little while. And I'm like, you know what? You're a smart woman. That's why I married you. She picked up Yingling in the uh, Target order. I picked it up. She made it in the Target order. So you can even order it at your local grocery store. So we appreciate Yingling sponsoring the podcast as always. Yes, you know, Des Bryant's kind of had a an interesting post-playing career. He's kind of a, a video game streamer. He's into like the crypto NFT game, which I don't really understand the NFT stuff. I don't even know how it works or if he makes money on it or what, but he apparently knows how to gamble, Colby. I mean, this is a pseudo-gambling pod on some occasions. Well, Des Bryant won $416,000 on a massive 13-leg college basketball parlay. I would not advise anyone doing a parlay, much less a 13-teamer, but Des was uh, stacking it up. So we'll, we'll throw up the X for Des. We'll, we'll crack a yingling and uh, toast to a fellow cowboy. Yep, that's a big one. I'm I'm sure if Des Bryant is like many other sports gamblers, um, that that was a nice big hit to cover some nice big losses. The thing about gamblers I've I've noticed <laughs> is not a lot of people tweet out their losers, especially when it's a run of losers. But if you hit that big of a winner, then that covers some losses for a while. So um, yeah, I, I think that that is a, a great hit for Des Bryant. His his post playing career has been very interesting. He's an interesting person. He, he's got some things to love about him, some things to not love about him, but he's a very interesting and fascinating person. Um, I'm going to go back to the hardwood for my yingling toasts of the week, and I'm giving out two of them because 
They played two games. They won both of them. And I thought two different guys were absolutely essential in each. Jamiron Keller, obviously, on Saturday against BYU, he gets a yingling toast of the week. 22 points in that game on 8 of 8 from the floor, 4 of 4 from beyond the arc. It was his 19th birthday on Saturday. Uh, So happy birthday to Jamiron Keller doing that out there. That was just an unbelievable performance. And then Wednesday against Cincinnati, man, I'm so happy for Keon Williams that he has figured it out because he just, you you can tell that he loves basketball. Like he loves being out there, the energy that he plays with, the excitement that he plays with. It it truly is a childlike excitement for the game. And he just had some, some huge mistakes earlier in the season, um, potentially costing them the Baylor game and the Kansas State game with those late turnovers. And then after those games, he played 13 combined minutes against TCU and West Virginia in the next couple. He's made his way back to the lineup. He had his best game of the season the other night against Cincinnati, 12 points, perfect from the floor, um, eight rebounds, eight assists in that game for Keon Williams. To see Keller and Williams do that in back-to-back games, those are just major X-factor um, performances from role players on this team that, that Oklahoma State really needs to get these wins. So uh, one toast goes to Jamiron Keller. The other goes to Keon Williams. Big-time stuff from those guys. Yep, for sure. I mean, again, just imagine if those guys play three, three, four years at Oklahoma State. Not only will that certainly lead to more wins for OSU basketball, but just the continuity will be great for the program and it'll be great for the fans. You've mentioned this 100 times, Colby, just – the names change so often now in in basketball versus a sport like football that you know there's there's not a lot of fandom to be maintained amongst you know who the players are. So uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying seeing those guys emerge here late in the year and just really just kind of lifting the dark cloud that's been been hovering over over the basketball program. Uh, yeah, what- like it, just think about it. if they can bring those five guys back and they come into conference play next year with like two losses and then they were to start two and two or three and oh in conference and the fans know all the players and they're having just that little bit of success that gives you some hope people would start showing up to GIA again that's that's what we can cross our fingers and hope for yeah that's another thing Doug mentioned on the sports animal was like he's like guys don't even like they're not even like on campus anymore he's like they're all online classes He's like that. Just wasn't the case when he was in school, and that's the case when I was in school. I I walked to class. I'd see Tony Allen every day. Tony Allen and I walked the same path every day and cross each other to where we we actually like knew each other somewhat, just because we we ran into each other every single day. That just doesn't happen anymore. And I think that 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 type of stuff I think matters to get the students invested, where they where they actually know the players. Uh, so hopefully, you know, guys can stick around where they get to know them even better. Um, so that I thought that was an interesting point too from Doug. Do you think that the basketball team, any of the football players, do you think they still play intramural sports? Because I know when I was there, um, we watched an intramural football game one night where Markel Brown was on the team, LeBron Nash was on the team. There were a couple other basketball players whose names escaped me. Um, Markel Brown jumped so high to try to catch a football. I didn't know if he was ever going to come down and land. He might still be levitating somewhere um, in Stillwater. It's just... I really wonder if they're still doing that because that was a lot of fun for us whenever we were there. Yeah, that happened when I was there and b- beforehand as well. I, I'm sure that that's the case because Colby, these these dudes are, this is their life. They they like nothing more than than playing basketball or just sports in general. So you just can't keep them away, even if they're taking all online classes. I guarantee you, they're over there at the Colvin running some pickup games for sure. Yeah, I hope so because that that is fun for me as far as. Um, the athletes engaging with just the, the regular students. So what would, I, what would Brandon Garrison do to you if you, if you were in the, in the way in the paint? 
Uh, first of all, I wouldn't be in the way. I would have moved very far out of the way. But if I was turned around and I got caught in a, a bad position, um, it'd be very unfortunate. It would probably go viral on social media, and I would have to take a break from the Internet. Yeah, you just you got to do that thing they do in the NBA where they make a business decision and just get out of the way. Let them, uh, let them slam it. Uh, I would Business decision. If I was in the paint and Brandon Garrison was coming my direction, I think I would run at a, a dead straight angle toward the sideline and then just head back <laughs> up the court to, to get back on the offensive end. I don't even want to see what happens behind me. Yeah, that would that would be ugly. Uh, one last thing here. I know we touched on it maybe. I don't, I don't know if we did or not. But the college football playoff has been officially revised to a 12-team where the five highest-ranked conference champions plus the next seven highest. We did, we did touch on this, didn't we? Uh, we did, but we did not discuss the nugget that came out that was in there this week, which is seeds five through eight will host a home game in the first round of the playoffs, which for Oklahoma State, we know what the, the helmet logo metric means in college football. I think those top four seeds are going to be very hard to come by for an Oklahoma State team with even one loss. But man, five through eight, and you're welcoming somebody into Boone Pickens Stadium to play a college football playoff game? Whoo, dream scenario, please please give me Oklahoma State slotted in at numbers five through eight next year where we can host a playoff game. Yeah, sign me up for that. That would be just pure electricity up there in Stillwater. And I, there was an important note that one of this, one of these guys tweeted to uh, Brett McMurphy, and he said, I think this is really valid. He said, the biggest question is, does the second seed in the Big 12 and ACC get in over the fourth seed from the Big 10 and the SEC? If not, then the Big 12 and ACC are basically one-bid conferences. This is really the only mystery still surrounding this format. And I just, <clears throat> maybe I'm naive. I'm sure I'll be, I will bring this up next time this happens, but I just, I can't see them giving four teams from the Big Ten or the SEC. If you're not, if you're not in the top three of your conference, do you really deserve to go play for a national championship? I just, maybe I'm naive and I'm sure I am. Maybe I'm just too pure of heart, but I, I just can't see that happening. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't think that there's going to be a steadfast rule that we're going to see year after year like this conference and this conference get so many teams in because once you expand to 12, you, you now get into a lot of scenarios where it's like, okay, Oklahoma State, Utah, and Kansas State um, and Arizona, like if the Big 12 totally cannibalizes e itself and all those teams have three losses at the end of the year, then maybe only one of them gets in. But what if Utah's only loss is to Oklahoma State and Oklahoma State's only losses to Kansas State, and Kansas State's only losses to Arizona, then all of a sudden I think you could get two or three Big 12 teams in. Um, I do think that the helmet logo, specifically in the SEC, is going to elevate some of those teams. When you look at a conference that is boasting Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, like just some of these schools that um, – People nationally have a ton of respect for their programs year in and year out, regardless of the product. I think we could see some years where the SEC gets four in. I don't know if that's going to happen in the Big Ten because as good as Ohio State and Michigan have been, um, everyone else, including Penn State, has just been average to mediocre to whatever the level below mediocre is. So I think that's more likely to happen in the SEC than in the Big Ten. Well, and Big Ten's about to get exposed now that they've added decent teams to that conference. I mean, yeah, now that... You know, now they all you have to do is not beat you know, all you have to do is beat Northwestern and, and Iowa now. Now you gotta actually play some some decent squads. So, you know, Oregon's gonna be in there, USC. Uh they at least have to play a, a schedule with a pulse now. So the teams like teams like Penn State are about to get exposed. Programs like Penn State are about to get exposed. Programs like Iowa 
are really going to get exposed because they can't just coast through these schedules when they don't play Michigan and Ohio State. Yeah, I, and I hope that that's the case. I, I do worry that somehow the Big Ten schedulers are going to work it out to where Penn State is just still like ranked 11th or 12th at the end of every season because they've lost two games to the only two teams that they've played. And if that's the case, so be it. That's college football. But I do hope that the Iowas and Penn States of the world start to get what they've had coming for a while, beating up on Indiana and Rutgers. But, I mean, again, I, I just think it's so exciting from an Oklahoma State standpoint. You don't have OU. You don't have Texas. And essentially what I think, the top two from the Big 12, I think, are getting in the playoff. The The path to at least just playing for a national championship, although the path once you get there is really daunting, the path has never been more clear, though, from Oklahoma State. Because, again, they, they've kept moving the goalpost literally, in, in Quinn Sharp's case, up there in Ames, Iowa. The, the CFP has been moving the goalpost on Oklahoma State at every single turn, whether it's BCS, CFP, you name it. Uh, now, I don't think they can move the goalposts far enough for Oklahoma State not to get in. Yeah, I think for Oklahoma State, it's it's simple for once. Win the conference and you're in. I don't, I don't think there's any way uh, you can go about it different than that. You can even still get in without winning the conference, but you know if you win the Big 12, you are pretty much in unless something just – again, even if something went disastrously wrong, you're taking the conference champion. So Oklahoma State's in if they win the conference, and if they don't, they still have a path. It's why I've said – and and. I'm only half joking whenever I say this college football until this upcoming season, even as recently as a month ago has never had a proper way to determine a national champion where every team that is even remotely deserving of a chance to play for the title gets a chance to play for the title. That has never happened in college football ever. And it's why I say only half joking Everything that happened before this, that was a warm-up. OU, you start at zero. Bama, Notre Dame, you start at zero. Oklahoma State starts at zero. Now we have a real way to determine a champion. Um, and again, only half-joking. I know that that's going to annoy all those people, but helmet helmet logo should start to matter a little bit less whenever you talk about the top 12 getting in as opposed to teams just getting left out of the top four because they sim simply don't have the quote-unquote pedigree um, that the people voting on these things care about. Yeah, it's exciting from an Oklahoma State standpoint for sure. All right, Colby, uh, have a good weekend. I'm going to go get my Taylor Swift music tuned up, tuned up so uh, have a good one. Uh, yeah, two quick predictions from you before we leave. Basketball and wrestling, 2-0? 2-0. and I, I think the crowd will really lift Oklahoma State in basketball and in wrestling. John Smith talked a lot about that in his his availability. And I just think Oklahoma State's better than Iowa at wrestling. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I agree with you. I think OU's come crashing down to earth. They're not as good as perhaps they appeared to be. Their, their wins don't look as good. Some of the teams they've they won against have, have lost some games. And they're going to be without Hughley, their, their big man. He, he's having a meniscus uh, surgery, I believe. So they're going to have to stick with that, that, that stiff good one on the inside, uh, which I think spells wonders for, for – Garrison's got to stay off, out of foul trouble. And I think OSU wins comfortably. Yeah, I think so, too. I think Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma tomorrow. Um, I won't say handily because it's it's hard to predict a 12-14, 4-9 team. I said comfortably. Comfortably, okay. Handily is a little drastic. Comfortably is more like, you know, 8 eight to 10 points. Handily is more like 20. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, real quick, before we get off here, what do you think the line on that game is, if I have it? I don't even have it. Never mind. Um, what do you think? Find it. I will. I will guess... I will guess OSU is favored by three. Uh, yeah, I don't 
I'm trying to find it. I still can't find it. I've got uh, the ESPN matchup predictor has Oklahoma with about a 68% chance to win. That seems high. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you can favor Oklahoma State. I'm going to find it. You're going to stay on with me until I find it. I think you can favor Oklahoma State. At home, uh, coming off a couple of wins. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma is not playing great right now. Oklahoma has lost four out of seven. Pardon me, five out of eight. Oklahoma has lost. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Oklahoma State might be favored tomorrow in a home game. All right, I'm almost there. Especially as, as good as they've been at Gallagher-Iba Arena. Um, and, yes, I'll take Oklahoma State over Iowa as well. This is the best Oklahoma State wrestling team that we've had in a while. John Smith has them rolling, and GIA is just going to be – it's going to be nuclear for that wrestling match on Sunday. So, so is there just no line on your on your end, on your site you use? <laughs> I've I've got no I've got no line on there's my side. No, there's no line on scores and odds either. Yeah, it doesn't make Too sense close to call. They say. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll chalk it up as a pick'em then. Uh, good stuff, Carson. Thanks everyone for listening. As always, have a great weekend. Go, folks.